a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. We are mere days away from the release of The Rise of Skywalker. And I have on the phone with me all the way from the City of Angels, Mr. Matt Belknap. Matt is the the co-host of Never Not Funny, one of my favorite podcasts for many, many years. And uh, I'm delighted whenever he stops by the show. And we're here to talk about The Last Jedi. So, Matt, first of all, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I have uh, I am very anxious because I will be at a press screening of the Rise of Skywalker in six days. Whoa! Oh my God, that's awesome in yes. New York. In New York, yeah. Um, that, that's so cool. So so how many days ahead? I'm bad with math. How many days <laughs> ahead of the release is that? So that's. Got I will it. be watching the film, and then Thursday night is the first public screening. That's yeah. That's see. I remember the for, really for. The last few Star Wars movies, um, being jealous of anybody, you know, I know various people who either got to go to the premiere or where they got to go to the, you know, there's press screening, the same thing. Like in LA, it's always like a few days before the release and it just kills me that there's people out there who've seen it before me. I can't stand. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to do that to you. I'm but... shooting daggers at you through the phone line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have two regular co-hosts for this show and all three of us are able to get to the screening. And my one friend, my co-host Matt, texted me and basically said, like, you know, if you had told me in 1999 I'd be seeing the last Skywalker Saga film at a press screen, I wouldn't believe you. I'd also be very confused as to what a podcast is. So, you know. <laughs> but, you might also be confused as to what the Skywalker Saga is, because I don't think that we called it that back then. I don't that's remember. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you just watched The Last Jedi last night. I watched yeah. it uh, last week. My kids had a snow day. One day, mm-hmm. so we cuddled up and watched the Last Jedi together. Um, when we had last spoken, you said that you know that you liked parts of it, but you had some some sort of big problems with it. Just mm-hmm. before we get into how you feel now, refresh me as to sort of what aspects of the first couple of viewings you didn't love as much. Um, I think it's it's so I, I probably should have like a. I, I should have just like I should write up a thing because I, I find myself talking about this a lot with various <laughs> other Star Wars fans. And I, I should have a more succinct answer to that. But if I could try to summarize it, um, the the major buckets would include um, overly ambitious subversion of uh, expectation in the plot, o- overly ambitious subversion of the tone of Star Wars in the in the just the tone of the film. Uh, maybe maybe partly unintentionally, I don't know. But uh, and I and then uh, there's also I, I thought the sort of slow speed chase as a device was problematic and annoying to me. I don't like when fuel. Uh, fuel gauges are a major, like you know, <laughs> like linchpin of a plot in any story, but especially in a franchise that never acknowledged the existence of fuel until I think five years ago or something. <laughs> um, but also, and then I, and then I think uh, I felt like even though Ray, uh, go strictly speaking, of my my initial reactions to it, I, I guess I would have said 
uh, two years ago that I felt like Ray was pushed to the side a bit in the story and was was kind of just in um, stuck in neutral on Skellen Island while the while the plot happened elsewhere. Um, and I kind of felt like all of the all of the scenes with her just kind of felt like um, pseudo spiritual mumbo jumbo uh, and and not really that interesting or enlightening or, or it didn't didn't expand or deepen anyone uh, in our understanding of, of the force or Jedi's or anything like that, which is what I think fans kind of wanted. Um, you know, there's that thing of like, do we want, do we think this is going to be like episode seven got knocked for, for going too close, hewing too closely to the original trilogy. And so was this going to be like Luke and Yoda on Dagobah all over again? And in some ways it sort of was, and, and then in other ways it was four times longer and yet less happened, I think in some ways. So that was, that would have been my, my beef. But even from first viewing, every viewing, uh, I mean, uh, I think that the third act is, is pretty amazing and, and, and pretty, uh, um, unimpeachable in terms of, uh, its impact. So it was really just the getting it going, um, and oh, and you know, and just like everybody else, I thought Canto Bite was kind of unnecessary and and cheesy, and uh, so those were my those were my initial thoughts. Okay, um, I'm not going to refute those <laughs> uh, because I feel like you know we'll talk a little bit more as we go along about how that's changed. But I think that a lot of what you said is pretty common for um, what I'll call the sort of normal problems with the film. Yeah. Because there are, you know, look, it is probably my second favorite Star Wars film. So I, I am I am very biased in yeah. the defense of it. However, I think that we can all acknowledge that there are lots of people who have illegitimate problems with the film. Right. Whether it's their thoughts on race or gender and those mm -hmm. sorts of things. But I, I think that everything that you've said is a valid criticism to have of the film. Um did you were you surprised by the negative backlash of sort of the the MAGA chuds of the world when when the movie <laughs> came out? Uh, no, I think that was sadly predictable because there was some of that with episode seven as well. Just the simple fact of uh, of the the lead character being female and having force abilities and and being. A, a proactive hero um, was going to rub people the wrong way. And then this film uh, had different triggers for that audience. I think, you know, it was, it was definitely um, it, it wasn't, it was certainly wasn't reversing any of that. It, it was almost in a weird way, doubling down on it. You know, I, I think one of the things I, I hate those arguments and I, I hate that that's part of the conversation but I will say from a screenwriting perspective, the movie, if we if we accept that Poe Dameron was created in episode seven as a heroic figure, a, a, a heroic character, then when he comes into conflict with um, Captain Holdo, is that her mm -hmm. name? Yes. Uh, uh, not Captain. She's Admiral. a Admiral Holdo. Yeah. Um, He's a captain. He's been demoted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, when he comes into conflict with her, it's a very straightforward. 
uh, hero villain dynamic. Like she's the uh, in in every story where there's a, a a chain of command, there's the hero who bumps up against the um, his superior who doesn't accept what he's doing. And this is one of the 73 areas where Ryan Johnson thought it would be fun to subvert the the typical plot of any type of movie where it's like, oh, you expect it to be that he's going to go, he's going to disobey orders and then be the hero. But instead he disobeys orders and fails and then finds out she had a plan that was better. And actually his subverting of his going behind her back actually screwed her plan up and caused more problems. So we're supposed to learn a lesson from that, which is on paper, that's fine. I, I understand it's it's more interesting for movies to surprise you than to do what you expect them to do. That's what good movies do. The problem is we like Poe. <laughs> you can't not like Oscar Isaac. He's he's a great actor and he's very yes. charming. And you can't not like Poe because he's a straight up hero. You know, he's the best fighter pilot in the resistance. So when he immediately comes into conflict with Laura Dern's character, Laura Dern whether they meant to or not, is now a villain in the story. She's not a villain. She's not a First Order villain. She is a, a villain within the, the, the conflict that's occurring within the Resistance. And you sort of see that in Rogue One as well, where there's internal conflict within the Rebel Alliance. And it's an idea that I'm not crazy about, frankly, but I understand that you have to have conflict in different places. It can't just be the big bad versus the good guys all the time. But that's kind of what Star Wars was built on is just like a guy in a black helmet with a lightsaber killing good guys and good guys, you know, who were probably wearing lighter shade of clothing. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think it's a little odd to then get into the gray area of rebels who are not on board with trying to save the day and, or, or do the, whatever you want to call it. I'm talking about rogue one at this point, but it's equally applies to Holdo, I think. Uh, or just like, what's the motivation for her? If he's this, if he's a hero of the resistance, the fact that she's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Uh, that's fine. They've already established that he disobeyed Leia and that caused problems. But then she immediately, the next scene is like, yeah, go blow stuff up. And it's like, okay, so they're cool with each other now. So I guess my point really long windedly is that, uh, you, you can subvert expectation, but you, I think they, they went too far and made us think I, I like Laura Dern as an actor and I, and I like the idea of that character, but they, they forced her into a role that, uh, I don't think they meant to or wanted to. And so in that instance, it seemed like the only purpose of that was to make some meta statement about um, men being uh, sort of disrespectful of women's authority and always getting away with it and always being the hero. And it's like, well, now for once, it's going to be the opposite. Very interesting idea. Could be cool and 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 effective in a, in in this or any other movie, but I don't think the execution was there. And so what ended up happening was like, they just kind of, to me, took a character that I liked and made him kind of a dick. And, uh, and then he sort of like everything else with this movie, he eventually ends up sort of being redeemed by the end, but it, we have to go, it's like, I guess to go back to your first question, honestly, the, my major issue, I think, is that this movie needed to be 20 minutes shorter before it got to the third act so that we could actually uh, 
because it, it just it tried it. I think it it's a weird to say about a movie that there's a lot happening in it, but it tried my patience in the sense that it took too long to deliver those resolutions that we all expect are coming, which is why it's weird for a Star Wars movie to pretend like they're going to do anything other than have the good guys get away. It's a Star Wars movie. So right. to go, to bend over so far backwards to be like, this ain't your daddy's Star Wars. Maybe we'll kill Leia. Maybe we'll kill uh, Finn. You know, you don't know what we're going to do. We're nuts. Like this is this is a totally new thing. And then at the end of it, it's like, no, it isn't. It's the same thing. It always is. So why did we have to slog through all of this stuff that was seemed like it was kind of just kind of trolling people who give a shit about these characters. Um, so that, again, that's sort of, that was my emotional reaction to the movie initially was that it was like, uh, because it was tonally not very, didn't feel super star Warsy at, all, all the way through and was felt like very proud of itself for messing with our emotions on those levels. I was kind of just like, well, fuck you then. Sorry to curse, but you curse <laughs> all you want, man. Uh, but you know, it's like, uh, like that, I, I think the the Star Wars I, I consider Star Wars to be an escape. Like I, I I like movies that sort of challenge you and make you think. But but Star Wars movies are are escapist films at their heart. And um, so to kind of mess with to mess with the emotions of the people who care, it almost felt like the point of it was to teach a lesson to people who care too much about Star Wars. That that was sort of felt like the underlying uh, theme or, or mission of the film, which, so when people had like crazy reactions to it or like very like wildly negative reactions, I understood it. It, it, the, you know, I came out of the movie kind of being bummed, like just kind of feeling sad because it was like, it was hard to, it was, it was an emotional roller coaster, I guess. But I also, it didn't fulfill the thing that I wanted most from it, which was to escape the world we actually live in and go to a place where things are a little more black and white and a little more, um, you know, uh, where, where the good guys do the thing that you expect them to do. And, and Luke is another example of that, which we can get into more, sure, but, uh, sure. uh, the way he's portrayed it, it was, was sort of heartbreaking to me. Um, and apparently to Mark Hamill too, because he can't shut up about it. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, but then it all works out in the end and, and, and the, set piece wise the the from the moment the, the the throne room scene on they just keep giving you such amazing uh action and visual stimulation that it's like hard to it's hard to be mad at it but yeah in terms of the political side of it like the people who are predis like i'm i'm a liberal guy and so for me to even sort of see a little bit of that in it like oh are you just kind of are you just trying to project wokeness with this like holdo situation uh, or, or, you know, sort of, um, you know, I guess they call it virtue sig signaling now where you're like, look at me, I'm so uh, socially conscious that I'm not going to just have the the cool white man uh, who breaks all the rules come out on top. He's actually going to have to learn the lesson, which, again, on paper makes sense and is cool and interesting. Uh, I just don't think it worked here. See, I, I did not. First of all, I, I, I mean, again, I think a lot of what you're saying has validity to it. I did not view it that way. Uh, I I also came into this, I was thinking about this on the last rewatch that I did of this film, which there's a really interesting thing that Ryan Johnson tries to do that I think if somebody had talked to him about 
the overall scope of what Lucasfilm's plan for Star Wars is, he yeah. maybe wouldn't have done it. And and here's what I, here's what I was thinking about. He really brings all the characters to a place of intense, um, like focal change. Right, every character has to grow and change and become something different. We see, you know, Poe's overall story in the film is that. He's go. He's learning how to be a leader. He's going from a from a starfighter to a leader. We mm-hmm. see Finn go from being sort of this, you know, he's he's not first order anymore, but he's not really anything to becoming a true rebel. We see mm-hmm. Ray go going from being a student to being a Jedi. So there's all this change happening, but yeah. all the change is happening for the payoff of one more film, and then they're not going to do anything else with these characters, at right. least for a bit of time. And so I feel like the Ryan Johnson, if I had to criticize him for one thing, I think he was he was plotting something that's going to be much, that maybe would have been better if it happened in the second season of a television show. Right. Versus the second of a, second in a trilogy that will likely put these characters to bed for some time. I, you know, it's funny. I had the exact same thought in terms of uh, the overall plan when I was watching it last night that you did, which is, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like there was a master plan. You know, like a lot of people, uh, it, it's sort of logical and makes sense to compare the new generation of Star Wars content to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you look at that uh experiment which is sort of what it was starting out uh and and you you look at the idea of like creating uh individual stories that are contributing to a larger long-term arc and then you look at this movie and it's like did anyone even other than like it really felt like they just said ryan johnson do whatever you feel like like take what take what happened in episode seven and then just just start freestyling on that like just just riff on whatever aspects of that you find interesting and that seems like an incredibly stupid way to do this movie if you intend on wrapping it up one movie later if they just said hey it's not a nine-part thing anymore because it ultimately it isn't this isn't (laughs) this isn't lucas's nine-part story because the last three chapters are not his story so why pretend that there is some cohesion to these nine stories when clearly they could have just continued to make movies and maybe they will. Like we don't even know if they intend to make movies with any of the characters introduced in episode seven or not. So if, if they, and that's what I would want, I I wanted them to start a new era and not see this as the concluding third of a nine part story, because it logically speaking, if you were going to do that, it should have this the the at least one at least the first of the three should have taken place sooner than thirty years after the the, the <laughs> right. sixth episode. Like that's just dumb. Like why would you jump ahead that much time and then tell three stories in quick succession that take place over a, a year or two? I don't even know what the span of time between these three movies is. Well, between seven and eight, it's a couple of days. Right. It's almost no time at all because yeah. literally we pick up with Ray and Luke. Uh, where we left off with them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating to me. It's incomplete and, and, and it feels half baked in terms of, especially when you compare it to a thing like the MCU, which was clearly mapped out and, and they, there's missteps and weird things and things that don't work and movies that suck in within those, 
within that world. But the overall effect, like when they got to the end of the Infinity Saga, it worked and it was like, cool, that was awesome that they mapped this thing out and they were able to succeed enough to continue it from the, you know, because they didn't know if it was going to work initially. But uh, if any of these movies, if, if, if you know, it's, it's like that that universal monster thing that they tried to do the, the first friggin' movie bombs and it's like well i guess that's the end of that whole thing that we were trying to launch or, or i guess they're still trying to do it but it's like you can't really keep doing this if no one cares so you have to succeed to keep it going so i don't know i just was hoping that star wars would just sort of say like okay well this is a new beginning for the franchise in general and i like that i happen to like the characters that were introduced at episode seven. So I'm all for them continuing on beyond uh, episode nine. But now it seems like they're just like, nah. And you're absolutely right that it, I, I part of, part of why I was bummed coming out of episode eight, I think is that it was like, we're only, we're, we're supposed to be two thirds of the way done with these characters. And I feel like I barely got to spend time with them in this movie because they're everything. There's so much happening that there's really not a lot of time for each of them. And and it's weird to say that because Ray, like I said, on the one hand, it feels like we spend a lot of time with her. On the other hand, it feels like the time isn't well spent because a lot of it is just kind of this Ingmar Bergman snapping into a mirror bullshit that just like, what is this? <laughs> this is not it, this is not advancing anything like we're not learning anything here. So this was a waste. Um, and so like I. I didn't feel like I yet you're right that there's a lot of change happening and, and all these characters are growing, but I didn't feel I, to me, and this is where I think I side with JJ Abrams a bit to me, what makes characters is relationships. And the first movie was built around relationships. It was basically about Ray and Finn and then secondarily, I guess, Finn and Poe. But, uh, but that you learn about characters and you, you become attached to characters when you see how their relationship to another character changes. And so you can, you know, the way Ray and Finn meet and then bond over this incredible experience, you feel like, okay, I've now I've been through something with them. I've, they've gone through something together and I was with them for that. And so now I feel close to them and they feel close to each other. And I like to see that relationship grow. It doesn't have to be romantic. It's just, of a friendship that is meaningful because we've seen what how it was. We, we went through the fire that forged it with them. And in this movie, I feel like everybody is scattered to the winds. And mo the most you get is, is really just Finn and Rose, which is fine, but it's like, why are we starting over with a new character when we already had plenty of characters and we still have to deal with the legacy characters from the original trilogy who are also getting short shrift because everybody's having to share time with everybody else. And, and also, Hey, we've got two new villains that we're dealing with. And, um, so it, it just, it, it was, it felt, it feels overstuffed with competing ideas and yet also like very long <laughs> at the same time because they're all trying to get in there and yet no one's getting the amount of time that I would want them to get. I would rather there be fewer characters if it meant we could actually see Ray, uh, you know, I, you know, you kind of want her to bond with Luke, you know, the, but that the whole again, the movie wants to subvert the idea that she just needs a father figure. So she's latching onto him the way she latched on to to Han. And it's like, OK, maybe that's true. And maybe the psychology of that holds up, but it doesn't make it fun for us to just see her being rejected 
by a sullen former hero. It, it just bums you out. You, you know, everybody who grew up on Star Wars would love the idea of being trained by Luke Skywalker. And then you find out being trained by Luke Skywalker sucks. Like it's the worst experience ever. Like I wouldn't. I would, he, here's where I will push back a little bit. To me, that is continuing what Lucas started in the prequels. Mm-hmm. Now, like you and I, how old are you? I'm 45. Okay, I'm 37. So I'm se- I'm seven years younger than you are. Yeah. So um, or eight years rather. Uh, so when we were growing up, all we knew about the Jedi was what we saw in those three movies. Yeah. And I thought being a Jedi would be fucking dope. I was so excited to one day be a Jedi because yeah. I was three and didn't know what the world was like. But yeah. you know, I I grew up wanting that. And then Episode One comes out, and we learn that being a Jedi is all bureaucracy, and <laughs> like you know just yeah. annoying infighting and there wasn't much fun to being a Jedi. And mm-hmm. I think that Lucas did that on purpose. I think he was trying to say that like, you know, essentially in a long winded way, he's trying to say war is not the answer. You should yeah. never be fighting for this. This Diplomacy is more important than the sword, all of this. And I yeah. think that there is, there is value in that opinion in the real world, right? Obviously, I do not want there to be war. However, in a film called Star Wars, I wanted to see more wars in space. That was that was sort of what I had signed up for. Right. And so I think that in some ways, Ryan Johnson was continuing that line of thought where, okay, well, maybe the Jedi before, you know, the fall of the Republic, maybe they were boring and dumb, but we got Luke and we know Luke is awesome. And he's kind of saying, well, no, it's not just the old the old guard that's the problem, Luke is part of the problem too. And I'm not saying that's necessarily uh, true or great or anything of the sort, but I do think that it's, it's more in line with overall what star Wars has been since episode one came out than maybe this radical departure. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think the, to me, the problem is I don't like the prequels, and so I don't <laughs> want them to be drawn upon in any way, shape, or form, which, again, is the Canto Bite thing. Is like Canto Bite feels the most like episode one to me uh, of anything in the new Disney era Star Wars stuff. And I, I will say, watching it again last night, I didn't hate it as much. Uh, what's interesting is that I still was like aware of the issues I had with it, but watching it last night, I was more, I think I'm more forgiving of the flaws every time I see it and, and equally amped up and excited about the stuff that I like about it. So, I mean, that's just a natural, one thing that's hard about seeing a movie that you're eagerly anticipating is that it's never going to, it it rarely does a movie exceed your expectations or, or, work like it, it it both delivers the things you want and surprises you in wonderful ways like it's probably going to uh be slightly different than what you want it to be and especially with star wars because we all have a lifetime's worth of uh ideas built up in our heads for what it should be or where it should go and that's evidenced by the fact that ryan johnson's star wars is different than his idea of what the world of Star Wars is is different than my idea of what Star Wars is. Like I would never put um, a bunch of like bullfrogs in nuns costumes wandering around an island rebuilding these stone buildings. Like I, to me, that's like a David Lynch scene and I don't really understand it uh, or, or like, and I think it's also like his sense of humor, which by the way, he, Ryan Johnson himself has a good sense of humor 
um, I was just, I, I produce the, uh, in addition to Never Enough Funny, I, I produce Doug Benson's podcast, Doug Loves Movies, and Ryan Johnson was a guest on there last week or two weeks ago, I forget. And, um, and he was really funny. And so, uh, and, and, and he's super talented. I, you know, one thing that I remembered thinking and, and felt it again last night is that I almost feel like Ryan Johnson is too good of a director to do a Star Wars movie. <laughs> like, I, I think Star Wars demands. It, yeah. it, de- it demands a bit of mediocrity. I mean, like Lucas, the first Star Wars movie is um, an amazing achievement, but it is also full of bad performances that are partly the director's fault. Like it, some of it is the writing, which was also him. And some of it is maybe the actors like Mark Hamill maybe wasn't uh, quite. I think he's become a good actor, but I don't think he was a good actor in 1977. Um, but there's good actors putting in uneven performances in that movie. And and then it, the, the prequels are the best example of how disinterested Lucas is in, in humans and performance and stuff like that. Uh, and then you look at the other original trilogy movies where, you know, one guy, I think uh, Mark Hand, he died a few a couple of years after. So we don't really know what his career would have been. But uh, we're talking about guys who were not like a list. They're not um, like auteur directors that. Uh, Ryan Johnson has a very strong and clear cinematic vision, but I think it's too strong. I think the directors, Star Wars directors should be more, uh, I think just they're, they should be working in service of the, the, the script and the story. And so that's why I think it's weird to turn everything story and direction over to a guy who's just coming in for one movie and not have, I mean, look, we don't really know. I mean, I assume the story group had some impact or influence or, or some say it or, but it it really, everything I read make, made it sound like they were just like, just show us what you got. And then he turned in a script. They're like, this is amazing. Great. Let's do it. And and no one was like, Hey, this isn't exactly where we wanted the story to go. Like I, I feel like you need a Kevin Feige type guy, uh, to, to be overseeing that aspect of it. And I don't know that Kathleen Kennedy cares about that part of it. I think she's more a traditional film producer in the sense that she just nurtures talent and she's, she's two for two in terms of hiring great talent. But I think it, you know, that there's a lack of consistency obviously because like this movie has no correlation to episode seven. It really feels like, it actually undoes a lot of the things that episode seven set up. I think, you know, whether it was ultimately we'll, we'll find out in a week, I guess if it ultimately was, is the case, but obviously JJ Abrams wanted there to be some, something to raise, uh, heritage or her origin. And they, he obviously had ideas about what Snoke, who Snoke was and what he was going to be about. And, and Ryan clearly relished the idea of just throwing that in the trash and being like, it's nothing is no, that guy's we're just killing that guy. And her fam, her parents are nothing. I, I strongly suspect that her parents will end up being not nobodies, but who knows? They, I, at least in them, I believe him when he said that that was the truth. I don't think he was writing that to say, you know, he didn't write uh, Kylo Ren lies to Ray. Your parents were nobody. I think, <laughs> right, he thinks, I think he thinks that is the truth in that moment. And then JJ is probably going to go back and, you know, put the white out over that, <laughs> over that whole thing and be like, let me get back to what I had in mind. But it's just odd that no one was in, like no one was steering the ship o- across all three movies. Like, why would you, why would you do it that way? It's, it just seems like a really bad idea for a movie that's all about myth building and, and, and long, like long story arcs. 
Well, you know, I, I, I have I have mixed feelings on that because part of me does feel like, well, you know, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe might be considered a success, but it's also, you know, what are there, 22 films, something like that? I would yeah. say that 16 of them are as about as cookie cutter as you can get from right. a from a plotting standpoint, right? There are very mm-hmm. few curveballs thrown at you. Yeah. And there are some great performances, but there are very few great directing performances in those films. You know, yeah. um and so if you want to make Star Wars you know, I, I think that everyone's fear with when Disney bought Star Wars was that it was gonna become about churning out something that was more consistent and less mm. special, maybe, yeah. than it than it could have been. But I yep. think that Ultimately, the prequels killed that vision. Yeah, yeah, uh, and even even to a certain degree, the original trilogy killed that. You know, I think I think that Empire Strikes Back is. I mean, it's my favorite Star Wars movie by a country mile, mm-hmm. and I think that that does do some serious tone bending from the original film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Return of the Jedi undoes a lot of it. Yeah, and that's sort of what we're going to be getting here. I think too. That's you know, that's a good point. Each each of the first three movies has its own tone. There's there's no doubt. Like I think I think Jedi is different than than New Hope. Even you know like I think Jedi is sort of the 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 goofiest and and sort of lightest of those three. And obviously, Empire's the darkest. Uh, but neither of them has that sort of the the cinematic gravitas of New Hope. Like I think that's what sort of was was lost because I think. For whatever reason, in that moment, probably partly due to the fact that it was the it was the first movie, and I think Lucas was putting everything he had into it. Um, it was a big swing; like he he he, everything was riding on it for him, and so uh, he did. He, you know, he pulled out all the stops. Like every every aspect of it was like we're going to do this to the max, and um, the effects, the the you know the the attention to detail. But also just like there's some great there are some great shots in that movie that are like sort of iconic. And I don't you don't find as you find a few of them in Empire. I don't know that you find any in Jedi, really, Um, maybe one or two at the end. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's uh, it's tough. I I think maybe part of it is also just our perception of how um, these movies get made and and what the creative origins of them are, because you know, we project a lot of our own beliefs and feelings onto it, given the information we have. For example, the original trilogy, we accept as George Lucas's vision because he was writing them and he was producing them and he was the guy. And so we don't question that. And we just go, this is, a, you know, it falls into the our general great man theory of creation of, of, of creative endeavors, um, which is flawed. You know, there's a lot of cases where and and film is certainly one of those cases where it's always collaborative and and if you read deeply into the making of star wars you know that that lucas is that well like gary kurtz had a huge influence on him and that is that his wife had a huge influence on him and on the movies um and then when those two influences were gone uh the movies that he made in the star wars universe uh were very different and he was a different person too he was older and he had kids and so he had different um motivations and stuff too but I think because these movies, a lot of people look at these movies through the lens of, well, now it's now it's Disney or well, even if even if they don't care about the Disney, some people think that's sort of derogatory or they, they think 
uh, poorly of Disney as a company. So they, they downgrade it that way. Or they say, I don't care about Disney, but this isn't Lucas's vision anymore. So therefore, this is illegitimate to me in some way. But even if you don't think either of those things, you still might bring your own preconceived notion of who J.J. Abrams is or who Ryan Johnson is to these movies and judge them accordingly. Whereas if you didn't know who was making them, you would have an easier time just taking them at face value, or at least you would be forced to take them at face value. And I kind of wish I could just watch them that way because I don't sure. want to be thinking about them in terms of like, okay, well, yeah, we know because we've seen his his work, his previous work, we know J.J. Abrams is, is predisposed to doing these kinds of things and having these types of jokes and moments. And this, he loves lens flares and, you know, all the sort of silly things that people get hung up on. It's not really important, but, um, but it, you know, we have to tell a story for some reason. We still feel the need to construct a story around how something was made, especially when it doesn't meet our expectations. If it does, then you can probably more easily put that stuff aside. But, you know, there's no question that Last Jedi was polarizing and, and challenging, even to the people who enjoyed it. It was it was a challenge. You know, it was it was, it was saying uh, it's, it's asking you to to rethink what you know about star wars and what you how you understand the universe um which again is it is a definitely a, a valid and viable approach to it but i think i actually think what you said is true in that they maybe didn't want to be perceived lucasfilm within lucasfilm they didn't want to be perceived as having gone quote unquote gone disney and maybe overcorrected by bringing in a super a super auteur with Ryan Johnson <laughs> and uh, and it's funny how like Colin Trevorrow got fired for episode nine, which I was absolutely thrilled that that was the case. But that's more the type of director that I feel like maybe should be making these movies as long as there is someone writing them or, or someone conceiving them or there's a there's a firm hand on the tiller on the story level, uh, then it doesn't really matter who directs them. I think that's that's the ultimate lesson of the original trilogy to me. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I I still have not seen the Jurassic World movie that uh Colin, or movies now that Colin Trevorrow did, so I can't right. speak too much to his uh how good of a how good of a fit he would have been for Star Wars, but I I think that part of part of Lucasfilm also probably wanted J J Abrams to do all three, yeah, and when he didn't, they thought okay maybe Ryan Johnson will do the next two, right, and then when he didn't want to, they thought oh <laughs> shit well we gotta you know, right. I, and so I. I, I have I have a lot of mixed feelings about all of this because on one hand, I try and think about this realistically. Like if we're gonna get a Star Wars movie every two years or so for the rest of my life, do mm -hmm. I want a series of sevens? Like I, I don't I don't mean episode seven. I mean on a scale of seven of one to ten, like right. sevens films that are good that are enjoyable that will get me through a bucket of popcorn, make me smile, make me cry, etc. Or yeah, do you want the equivalent of like uh, those those sixteen Marvel movies that you said are just cookie cutter? There's exactly. some of them are fine, but none of them are blowing you away, right? Or do I want five tens and seven fours? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's very hard to think about that for me because uh -huh. on one hand, I know the pain of leaving a bad Star Wars movie. I also yeah. know the joy of leaving a good Star Wars movie. So it it really is a tough thing to to consider what's best for. For the fans, but also for the franchise in general. It is, it is. It's an impossible thing. All you can do if you're the person in charge like Kathleen Kennedy is, all you can do is follow your own instincts. And, you know, she's doing what she feels is is, is right for the franchise. I think it's just 
I don't know that she would even dispute the fact that she's not, uh, she doesn't come at her job from the creative storytelling perspective. She obviously cares about it. And it's like a big part of, of making movies, but, uh, her role in her career, I think has been to nurture the creatives and not be the creative. Whereas Kevin Feige, I think comes from a storytelling perspective. He, he's one of those rare producers who actually has the storytelling chops and, and understands that, uh, that is the single most important. I, I mean, I'm not saying Kevin Kenny doesn't understand that. I, I think she understands it as well, but, uh, but maybe she has a, a less, maybe she, and, and, and again, this could be argued either way. She, I think she has less reverence for, um, you know, for what star Wars as the overall story and the overall like sort of universe uh, uh, of it is, is going to be. And, and maybe you have to feel that way if you're going to be working on it day in and day out for years and years, you can't be too precious about it. But, uh, I think a lot of people had a certain impression of star Wars based on their own childhood experiences. And it's always hard when, um, a, you know, it's a, it's an odd situation. George Lucas himself didn't live up to what we wanted uh, with the prequels, but, uh, but then there was no one else. There was no logical heir to, um, to him to, to, uh, from this, from the storyteller perspective, like there was no one to step in and be like, okay, I will be the, the one person or a group of people, you know, it could be. And I thought that's what the story group's job was, but I don't get the sense that they had a lot of input. In fact, I feel like there were rumblings that they maybe weren't super thrilled with a lot of Ryan Johnson's choices, but the mandate was we're going to hire the best people and let them do what they do best. And that's it. And, and that kind of negates the premise of if you're telling a long story over a bunch of episodes and, and, and across different, uh, you know, there's going to be different characters who are carrying the load sometimes and it's a, it's a lot to deal with. It seems like a good idea to have a, a handful of people who are in charge of that and guiding it. Like whether it's, it should be, you know, someone who knows how to write, like, you know, th I think that's why they wanted Benioff and Weiss is because they were like, Oh, those guys did game of Thrones. That's who we need to do a sort of similar thing in the star Wars world. The problem is that's not who did that. It was actually George R. R. Martin. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so it's like you need it's it's like you can't just go out and hire a visionary storyteller like that's not a thing that is easy to do. You just have to hope you find one. And and I think J.J. wasn't really it and is probably too smart to attach him to uh, attach himself to one thing for too long um, and be the guy, you know, and, and the and the pressure must be unbelievable. Like I, I that's the other thing I can't imagine is like having to answer for what you make. That's why Brian Johnson is whether you like it or not, you have to admire the balls on a guy who's going to just make choices that are so extreme and, uh, and, and, and it just, it's a, it was a pretty, it's a pretty, passion. I think it's going to be with him the rest of his life, frankly. I think I don't think he's going to be able to ever, you know, walk down the street without thinking the next guy who's in his mid-40s who walks by me 
may actually punch my face or, <laughs> or at least have a major issue to that. He's, he's going to have a bone to pick with me. And that, like, that's going to be with him forever. That, that dawned on me when I was, you know, recording the, the Douglas movies episode is like, this guy probably, uh, and, and they didn't talk about star Wars and I didn't, I didn't end up getting to talk to him at all. So, but I, I, I can't imagine how deeply he, clenches up whenever somebody starts like has that look in their eye like oh this guy wants to talk star wars god damn it like that's just that's horrifying to me like i, I couldn't imagine so um hats off to him i guess is my point yeah the one thing i, I do want to say before i have a couple of specific film things i want to ask you about with, with this film um is you know i we talked about the audacity of setting up all these characters for change in this film for only having one film left and I yeah. think that this will feel different in 15 years if there's a Poe Dameron trilogy after this or if yeah. there's a Ray TV series. You know, I feel like if if they do more with these characters, The Last Jedi might wind up being a very important film in the next 20 years of Lucasfilm. Mm -hmm. But we just don't it, know that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and, and I remember when when Last Jedi came out, I remember talking to people who were like, uh you know, Empire Strikes Back wasn't popular when it first came out. People were mad that it didn't, that it ended on such a down note. And it was like, what the hell? Like Hans and carbon freeze and Luke just got his hand chopped off. Like, this is insane. Uh, it's not what people expected. Uh, but when you can, we all, you know, we had to wait three years, I guess, for, for the conclusion of that. And then it, when it came, it was amazing. It was, you know, everything worked out. So, we kind of look back at it as a whole now, not as an individual piece of a puzzle. Um, and so it's possible that even episode nine, they could still land the ship. But I, I it just seems like the task is harder uh, given, you know, what not that it's hard It's like he left it exactly where it probably would have been left by anybody. But the the problem is it felt like, uh, again, I just feel like it was it was. Uh, that it was a, it was it was time was wasted on on things that didn't at least give me what I wanted, which is more time, more quality time with the characters that I that I, you know, really liked from episode seven. And uh, so, yeah, it's, we're in a different world now, you know, like we're, we're too we're too aware of of how entertainment works and, and how these things unfold. I don't, I don't know that. I know because I was a kid, I certainly didn't know in 1983 that that was going to be the last new Star Wars movies that I, movie that I was going to see for 16 years. But um, I think we all sort of figured, OK, well, the, these movies, they'll just keep making these movies, right? Because they're awesome and we love them. So why would they stop making them? But then when Jedi ends, it's like, OK, well, that's the end of it. And then it just kind of stopped. It's It's different now to like go into this whole thing knowing this is it, you know, like for whatever and maybe that's a fake out. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe they're going to maybe they have no intention of dropping these characters. I think that the business is also different in the sense that these people don't want to, you know, uh, Daisy Ridley doesn't want to be playing this character for the rest of her life, I'm sure. And I don't know if any of them do. But um, but I would I agree. I like your Poe Dameron idea because I think Oscar Isaac has managed to carve out a really good career for himself making adult dramas, uh, you know, movies for grownups that are good and he's, you know, going to get nominated for Oscars and stuff along the way. And then he could just be Poe Dameron, you know, and like, yeah. it's no big, whereas like in the old days it was like, Oh, if you're going to be Luke Skywalker, you're just going to be 
be Luke Skywalker. No one's going to accept you as anything else. Although I guess Harrison Ford was able to 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 do it, but um, but I, definitely, I think Harrison Ford is a is a hard person to model your career after for a lot yes. of reasons. If you that's know? your aim, if you're aiming like, well, I could just do what Harrison Ford did. It's like, well, okay, you better be <laughs> like a once in a generation charismatic uh, talent. So exactly. Uh, but yeah, but but Oscar Isaac may be that guy. I mean, he may be the one guy of his generation that can do it. But I don't think Daisy Ridley can necessarily count on doing a lot of stuff. I think she's going to have a you know a similar thing. It's a different industry now. But she can she can make lots. She can do lots of different things. But I certainly would, if I were her agent, I would be like, please don't make seven more Star Wars movies because right. <laughs> uh, the other jobs are going to stop. The offers are going to dry up as eventually people are going to go, no, I can't have Ray in my movie because your people are just going to see you as that. Right. Um, but I do think so. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about this on our podcast already, but as sort of what the end of the Skywalker saga means mm-hmm. to me, it means two things. It means no more Mark Hamill. Yeah. Uh, and I think it means no more Kylo Ren. Because if it's truly the end of the Skywalker line, he is the last Skywalker, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't know if it necessarily means the end of all of those characters or just that, you know, we've been following Skywalker descendants from yeah. episodes one through nine, and this is the end of that story. But right. I don't think we're going to see a Ray or Poe Dameron film for the next five years at least. You know, yeah, I, I think we're going to give those characters a, a pause for a while, which I don't yeah. think is a bad thing, but I hope it's not a 30 year pause. 30 is too long and two is too short. You know, like they, they definitely uh, they overdid it with the, you know, I, I, I still I'm still bummed that uh, there's a lot of things that I like in in Solo that I feel like that movie was sort of unfairly um it received it was poorly received and and not necessarily fairly because first it's very hard to recast Harrison Ford but mostly because people were still digesting episode 8 and and they couldn't handle a sort of more lightweight uh and um less uh, important Star Wars movie I guess for yep. lack of a better term uh but yeah I I I want more stories outside of the the existing characters. Uh, I I love the Mandalorian. I feel like that's exactly what they should be doing. Is is like smaller scale stuff on the fringes of the galaxy. And um, uh, but I definitely think that it will be it. It'll be it'll be sad and it'll be a, a missed opportunity if they can't extend Ray and Finn and Poe beyond episode nine eventually they definitely need a break that probably the world might need a break but it would be fun to check back in with them and and i think it's i think it's an opportunity to start weaving you know you you establish new characters and new stories in other areas and then the fun of it is to start weaving them together like again i hate to keep bringing up marvel but there is something fun about like just you know team ups and and unexpected you know pairings and and that that's uh that's something that star wars can be doing uh they just have to lay the groundwork and they i think that's another thing that's odd about these movies the, these seven eight and maybe nine as well is that they don't feel like they're laying the groundwork for anything and that's an odd that's a that's an odd thing given the value of the franchise you'd think that they would be very keen on you know setting things up for the future but it, it in 
paradoxically, they seem more obsessed with uh, wrapping up something that started, you know, 43 years ago or something. And, and that's uh, it's necessary, I guess, on some level. But uh, the thing I liked about episode seven, but honestly, is that it seemed like it was kind of doing both. It was like establishing well, yeah. the new and wrapping up the old. And I think that that balance was lost. For me, that balance was lost in episode eight. See, I don't know if it was lost in episode eight or if it's, and you know, again, you can't unlearn things. You can't re rewind your brain. But part of me feels like the bigger, like, if episode eight had been as big a success as seven was, mm -hmm. I don't know if they'd be advertising this as the end of the Skywalker saga. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that marketing is a bit of, look, we know you've had enough. Let's finish. Come we back. got strong. Was <laughs> yeah. That Please come back. Is, yeah, please, exactly. Yeah. yeah, please come back. You know, we'll please clap. We'll yeah, uh, don't be mad at us. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, and then we'll we'll talk about things in the future. Because I mean, right. I I don't know. I know you said you love the Mandalorian. I love the Mandalorian. I've been <laughs> I've been writing about it for Multiversity. So I get up at like six in the morning on Fridays before yeah. my kids are awake, and I watch the show. And Guess I, what? I'm not writing about it for anybody, and I still wake up at six o'clock in the morning to watch <laughs> it. But that's mostly because I got I got in trouble with my wife and daughter for watching the first one at like eleven thirty on Thursday night. And then they were like, you watched it without us? And I was like, okay, well, if you guys, we got to watch it before everybody gets ready and goes to school and to work. So the only time to do that is 6 a.m. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but I love it. I, I kind of love that. I like that. I like that there's like a tradition attached to it. I like that it's, um, to me, uh, and I could go on about this too, the Mandalorian in general, but we, that's not what we're here for. But it, I, I think the Mandalorian is closer to what the spirit of Star Wars originally was than any of these movies, really. Um, probably the, any, I mean, it, it, it's, it's episodic in the way that the serials that George Lucas was inspired by when he wrote Star Wars were episodic. And, and so uh, I like that it's hearkening back to that and, and really being a week-to-week -week show that doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just little adventures, and it's in this world that we know and love, and there's some winks and some fan service, but it's not characters we know yet. I don't know if that's going to change. <laughs> right. I, if someone hears this episode in the future and says, uh, that, what a fool, he didn't realize that Cad Bane was going to show up, or whatever. Nice poll, but, by the way. Yeah, I, that's, my, that's my prediction for, the as we're recording this, episode five is the most recent episode. Yes. So, at the end of episode five, a shadowy figure in some sort of a duster or cape uh, appears and you only see his boots and hear his, his spurs jangling or whatever. <laughs> and a lot of people thought it may, might be Boba Fett who somehow crawled out of the Sarlacc pit, which was my first thought, too. But uh, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I bet it's Cad Bane because oh, he's a cowboy robot bounty yep. hunter <laughs> and um, and uh, wears a duster. And uh, and a guy is, is a ridiculous character, but kind of a cool, silly, fun character who I would love to see go up against uh, the Mandalorian. It would be kind of fun. Matt Ligori, you're listening right now at home, and you are, your brain is exploding. My co-host Matt loves Cad Bane. So okay. This, this, this is he is he is totally on board with this plan already for sure. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the real test of the of the franchise going forward is actually not the Mandalorian, but it's the Obi Wan show. That Disney yeah. Plus is doing because mm -hmm. that's going to be the real test of saying, okay, we're bringing back a big star 
yeah. to do a show on this on this platform. What's the scope going to be? What can we right. get away with? And it's a weird story because we know everything important that happens can't be that everything that happens can't be all that life changing for him. Yeah. So it has to be a small story. Will audiences be okay with it being a small, quiet Obi Wan story? Yeah, it's it's like the better call Saul of Star Wars. Like, <laughs> That's an it, excellent call. Yeah, which is honestly one of my favorite shows. I, I think they've yes. done an amazing job. Um, but there is that firewall. <laughs> you know, there's like sort of a you know that no one's ever gonna you know that you know who isn't gonna die uh, because you know that they're gonna show up later. Um, so if if it's ever a, if there's ever a life or death situation, you know that there's no real peril involved. But that's become very common. There's been so many prequels, so you kind sure. of know. Uh, that that's the case. Um, I think that show can be great. I just, I hope they don't try to do, I hope they don't try to make it into more than what it really should be is kind of like that. There was like a couple of years ago, they did a sort of Obi-Wan comic book. Um, and it's kind of set in the, I think it was set in the same era or maybe not the same era. Yeah. And, it was it was kind of like the Mandalorian. It was just kind of like we're gonna go, we're just gonna have weekly adventures with this character in a period of time that we have never filled in. So it's kind of a blank slate. And uh, the thing that scares me a little, but not a lot, is like Rogue One to me was was pitched to the public initially as hey, this is a story outside of the saga. It's like, we're going to go, we're going to meet some new characters and it's going to be this whole thing. And then by the time it came out, it's like, here comes Darth Vader and CGI Princess Leia. And it's like, this is not at all separate from the story. It's right. in, You're basically inserting it directly in front of uh, the major, you know, the, the first movie. So, uh, and then Solo, again, all the Star Wars stories, initially, it felt like the, the idea was, let's tell some stories outside of um, what we've already done. And then the first one has CGI Princess Leia. The second one is young Han Solo. <laughs> and <laughs> we've got the Millennium Falcon and Chewbacca and all these other things. And I love all those things, but I really was, I was excited about the idea that you could do some stuff in a different corner of the galaxy with new characters and, and doesn't touch what we've already established. This is going to be, to me, the test is, can they do a story about a character we know and love with an actor who's already played the part and we, everybody's on board with him coming back and getting a chance to kind of a chance for redemption in some weird way, because he's, he was like a, one of the few bright spots in a pretty terrible uh, trilogy <laughs> movies. And so can he, can you give him something good to work with and yet not not can you resist the temptation to tie it into the big story? Like because yes. they couldn't resist they couldn't resist with Rogue One and Solo. Uh, honestly, I mean, at the end of the day, the plot of Solo isn't really about anything important. I, what was cool about it is that it ended up tying into some other stuff, the prequels that was kind of fun. Um, it, it, that was very unexpected. And, and to me, it's kind of a shame that they probably won't be able to return to those things because I wanted to see that. I want to see the movie with Kira and Darth Maul, you know, like that would have been cool. Um, but okay. anyway, uh, but yeah, the, but this one, I've already heard that they're casting for Luke. So that's scary. <laughs> like That doesn't make me feel great. Um, but hopefully he's going to be a very minor background character almost. And, uh, uh, you know, 
what we know is that Luke is aware of a, a person named old Ben who lives out in the middle of nowhere, but they don't seem to have a relationship. And so hopefully they stick to that and don't turn this into a, a story of a man and a boy who become friends and <laughs> yeah. you know do all sorts of adventures together. What I think somehow... is, the, is the real missed opportunity here is, I don't know if you watch Star Wars Rebels or not, but there's a yeah. Rebels arc that's about Obi-Wan and Darth Maul and it ends their story. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that would have been a perfect series to do. Right. Yeah. But I know it would have been cool. I mean, it's it's so tricky because I I what you're saying is right. Like the 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 scope for a TV show sort of by definition has to be different than a movie. Like you have to delineate that so that people still feel like it's worth going to the movies and and the stakes have to be higher when you make a movie whereas, you know, or you have to sort of deliver more on, you know, not just budget-wise, but like more has to happen. There have to you know, the stakes have to be higher. Uh, and so, how do you make a a compelling show that knows its own that stays within its within the limits of that? That's why I think The Mandalorian's a great model. Is like it's very good at staying contained, even though it's going all over the place geographically. It's it's staying contained in the sense that it's not trying to be more than what it was conceived to be, which is a pretty simple, straightforward story. And, and who knows, you know, it, by the end of the season, it could be like, that's Yoda's son. And this guy's actually this guy. And he's go, oh, you know what? That's the Mandalorian's actually Boba Fett, but he has amnesia and he got new armor. And it's like, that could, they could totally blow everything up. But I feel like they've been pretty so far. They've exhibited remarkable restraint with not just uh, going back to the well of here are the characters you want. Like I think that I think R five D four might be the only character who is in has been in the Mandalorian so far that's been from another thing, which is I think up for debate. And some people think, oh, that's just another R five unit. But right, I was told someone told me that that R five in the cantina was R five D four, which is fun. Um, but you know they very easily could have put some people that we already know in there. And then the fact that they didn't is, is, is pretty cool. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so real quick, cause we've already talked for an hour because yeah. this is what happens when we talk about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, watching the movie last night, episode eight again, what was sort of the biggest change that you had from the first time you saw it till now? Um, I think it was probably, I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't as mad. I, I wasn't really mad at the Canto bite sequence like I had been in the past. I think one of the things that's helpful is, uh, I watched, I didn't watch it all in one sitting, which sounds weird. It's like you should, I, I'm a strong believer that you should watch a movie without distraction and, and all at once and all that stuff. But this particular movie actually benefits from breaking it up a little bit. And it's because I think it's overstuffed. And, and so if you can, if you can sort of get the first act out of the way, take a break, do something else, put your kids to bed or whatever you got to do, and then go back. That actually, to me, changed how I experienced the Canto Bite thing because then I wasn't like, I wasn't, um, uh, I wasn't annoyed. I wasn't like, come on, let's just get to. I know, like, this is just a. We're, we're sort of being waylaid unnecessarily. Not not unnecessarily. They the it is ultimately unnecessary, but we don't, we're not supposed to know that at the moment that we think this is important and that they need to do what they're doing. Ultimately it amounts to nothing, which is why it's sort of frustrating. But because I had stopped watching and went back, 
the where it when that came along, I actually was able to go. You know what? This is actually fun. Like that that sequence uh, with the flawflips or whatever the those freaky <laughs> horse rabbits are called. Um, what are they called? Uh, Farthers. 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 Far- yeah, I believe. So. I actually was like, this is cool. And you know what? Like, it's not easy to pull off those effects, like to make that feel convincing and real, because it's it's a crazy. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening there. And uh, I still don't like the like the leprechaun and the casino and that old lady who just looks like the woman from Titanic. I, I don't really <laughs> understand why she's there. Uh, she doesn't look Star Wars at all. I'm, I'm very sensitive to when things don't feel Star Wars. Like the one thing I didn't like in The Mandalorian is that that rookie bounty, that wannabe bounty hunter kid. Yeah, uh, because he didn't look like that actor shouldn't be in Star Wars. Like he's too pretty. Yep. And I'm just like, no, nah, this doesn't work for me. Ultimately, the, it fit the character. But it still was like you. You should be on High School Musical. Like you shouldn't yeah. be in this. Like what are you doing here? Um, like you he took should a wrong be playing uh, Tony Danza in a biopic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it turns out I didn't realize it was Bobby Cannavale's son. Right. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I'm very sensitive to that. That old lady doesn't fit in Star Wars at all. It just seems weird. It's like you don't look like you're in this in this universe. But uh, but I but in terms of and I, and I will say like. Now I'm going back on what I said, but I think what, when you talk about what the characters and, and how they change, I think maybe the 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 worst execution wise, the one that suffered the most was Finn, because it doesn't really make any sense. I don't see the motivation for him being like, hey, this place is great. Like, it just feels very shoehorned that he's like raving about how cool the casino is like. Why would he? care one way or other they're they're on an important mission like why is he stopping to be like wow this is really cool Mm -hmm. and it's like i guess if you were like uh you know forced into uh you know stormtrooper training from a young age and you never really had a chance to live life and experience things outside of this very like dull and and repetitive training uh life that you might be kind of impressed by it but it just i i didn't it, it hit my ear wrong that he was reacting that way to the casino and it really was clearly only so that we could set up this very ham-fisted thing of like well look closer because this is all bad actually and it's like okay so yeah the rich people are bad and and obviously everything that looks shiny has to be terrible underneath it because that, like in a movie that's trying to subvert expectations that is to me such a horrible cliche to be like you know things that are pretty are sometimes corrupt. Like, yeah, no fucking shit. That's obviously like everything in the world and even in star Wars. So like that was lame to me. And then, uh, but, but all that said, like, I, I like the, I like the, 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 the set piece. I like the chase. It's really well done. It's really cool. And, and they, they spent a shitload of money to do that. I've, I've watched the making of featurette or whatever. And I know how insane it was to build that casino and to, to shoot in those streets of Hungary or Turkey, wherever the hell they were. And, uh, it, and it, and it worked, it looks awesome. And I, I really, I was able to enjoy it when the first few times I watched that movie, I was just like too irritated by the fact that we weren't that, why, why we had to go to this place and go through all this when it was really never going to go anywhere. Uh, that was too distracting to me. So I, I enjoyed that. Um, I did want to say one more thing. One thing occurred to me watching the movie is that I think, Benicio del Toro in Last Jedi is the perfect. Uh, he's like the manifestation of Ryan Johnson as the guy who wrote and directed this movie because he's a guy who's inc- an incredibly talented actor. I love him, but he's everything he does is is 
is distractingly interesting. Like he's too interesting and <laughs> good. An excellent way to put it. To to be a minor character in anything ever. And so so when he shows up, you're like, oh, Benicio del Toro. And then you're like, God, this guy's what's this guy's deal? He seems really interesting and cool. And and then you're like, oh, okay, I think I like this guy. And then you're like, oh, he, he's not going to be in it really. Oh, oh, he's actually a bad guy. Oh, he's betraying them. Oh, okay. So, so all this like it's like the same. The movie as a whole is like, oh, look at how it's like visually easily the most impressively directed and shot Star Wars movie. Like it's it's way beyond any other Star Wars movie in terms of the look of it. It's 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 a beautiful movie. Like it's incredible to look at. And yet underneath that, I kind of feel like. Uh, and it makes all these interesting choices and it's very flashy and, and ambitious. And it's like, just like, just like Benicio del Toro's performance. It's like, look at me, I've, I've got all these tricks, but underneath that, it's really just setting you up to betray you. And that's kind of how I felt is like, you're making me love you. And then you're punching me in the heart. How dare you? That's not fair. Um, and so I don't know if that really carries all the way through because I do ultimately feel like this movie, and I've said this from the first time I saw it all the way through to today, it ultimately leaves you where you need to be and where, like where the story needs to be and where we need to be. And, and I, I think the idea was let's take it, let's take everybody as low as we can take them so that the impact of this ending is even stronger. And I don't know that it a hundred percent does that, but I will say on the, at least on one level, it does achieve that to me a hundred percent, which is Luke Skywalker when you take him from being this grisly jerk who's just so insufferable and you just want to punch. I mean, like people thought he was insufferable at the beginning of New Hope, but the way he's acting on this island is just ridiculous and just so annoying. But then when you take him from that to then being the ultimate badass Jedi at the end of this movie and then and then performing the ultimate heroic act of sacrifice, it like there's nothing greater. I mean, like that is so cool to me. And so I will absolutely give it up for for that and and to me the tragedy or not tragedy is too strong a word but the the what's unfortunate about the last jedi is that i feel like a little bit of editing would have gone a long way towards delivering that same impact without all of the negatives that were somewhat distracting to people like me and and yeah you can't please everybody but for my money this wasn't like a drastically there were there a few key edits would have gotten us there quicker and with less hassle and with with less baggage unnecessary baggage uh but i was still able to enjoy the destination and um and you know it was it worked all over again you know when i watched it last night i was still like super psyched and and just enjoying the hell out of that scene with with luke and and ben and then you know even this at the very end it's super touching and, and great when when Finn and, and, uh, and Ray are reunited. And so I, yeah, I, 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 I ultimately do really like this movie. If I had more time and ambition, I would probably try to load it into final cut pro and do my own edit of it. Who so are you, Topher could... fucking grace? What are you, what are you doing <laughs> over here, man? I, know. I, I, like I said, I don't have the time or the energy and I think that's a, a shitty thing to do anyway, but I, <laughs> I definitely feel like, the movie I really wanted is actually in there. It's just uh, there's a couple of things getting in the way. The one thing I do want to say is I, I know a lot of people had a problem with Luke not really fighting at the end of the movie. 
mm-hmm. and that was a cop out in, in some way. And I think that's so incorrect. I think that Luke saves the galaxy the first time by not fighting his father, right? And he saves the galaxy a second time by not fighting his nephew. Yeah, and that's think- the ultimate form of not only heroism but of the Jedi way. To me, is like you have to take. That's the that's the lesson. You know, that's that's what Yoda is trying to teach and that's what they're trying in the, even in the prequels that's what they're trying to achieve and failing to uh is is uh you know resolution through nonviolence. yeah exactly well matt i know you're not on social media so i, I can't have folks follow you there but where can folks yeah. find your work uh you can find never not funny uh wherever you get podcasts we put out an episode every week and uh we you, you can find you can find that uh, not me personally but you can find the show on twitter at never not funny and on facebook at facebook.com slash never not funny there's a great photo gallery of all of our guests and uh you can enjoy those photos and uh yeah but just uh apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher wherever you download podcasts normally then uh, just search never not funny yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, listeners, you're hearing this on Friday. Next Friday, we'll be back with a review of The Rise of Skywalker. I can't believe we're already here. Crazy. And uh, so remember, until next time, the Force will be with you always. 